Hey, Portico Church, good morning. Pastor Nate here, filling in for Jason. Um, I'm glad that you guys are tuning in with us. I wish I could see you instead of looking into this camera, but I'm really glad that you have the opportunity to join us. Um, we are going to be in Psalm 130 as we are in the middle of a new series going through um, several different psalms. And the hope of this series is that we will actually learn um, new songs that God has given us to sing that serve as a playlist for our life. And so we're kind of sampling those songs as we go through this series. And this song, Psalm 130, um, is not one that you may have picked for yourself. It is a sad song. It might even be a scary song. It's a heavy song, but it's a very rich song. And so my hope today is that we learn how to let grace focus our fear on God, because that's what this psalm wants us to do. It's going to show us how to do that. And so I'm going to go ahead and read this psalm for us as we dive in. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we, um, we approach you this morning from all around the city and in our homes. Lord, we come to you and we need your word to remind us of what is most fundamentally true about us and what is most fundamentally true about you. Lord, help us to see ourselves as needing your mercy, as needing your forgiveness, and help us to meet you in the midst of that need as a Lord who gives it abundantly and freely. Lord, we need your help this morning as we, as we look at this psalm to believe it, to trust it, to experience it. And so, Lord, please help us and bless this time that we have in your word together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How are you guys feeling? Don't you hate that question, especially right now? When somebody asks you, how are you doing? Well, I'm asking you how you're feeling. This is a season of our lives that's provoking great emotion. And there's a long range of emotions that I think that we're all experiencing. We're stressed. We're anxious. We're avoidant. We're distracted. We're irritable. We're restless. We're frustrated. We're depressed. We're exhausted. 
and we're afraid. We are deeply afraid right now. And I know already um, I'm expecting that probably some of you are a little defensive, that you, might, that you might think, well, I'm not afraid. Well, if you're not afraid of one thing, you're afraid of the other. If you're not afraid of getting sick from the coronavirus, you might be afraid of losing freedom to the government. If you're not afraid of the economic fallout of everything that's happening, you might be afraid for your children and the future that they're going to have to face. If you're not afraid of stepping out of your home and interacting with people and giving them a hug, you're probably afraid that no one's going to want to give you a hug. We are deeply, deeply afraid. And so I actually want us to locate all of those fears that are kind of swirling around in us, and I want us to locate them in a deeper fear that we have. When we strip away all of the distractions of the world and all of the different voices that compete for our attention, we are afraid for one reason, and that is because we are sinners and God is holy, perfect, all-knowing, all-seeing, and he will judge everything we do, everything we think, everything we in the deepest recesses of our desires, want. Those will all be laid before us and before a holy and perfect God. So this psalmist is wanting us to let grace focus our fear on God. And he does it through this kind of movement that you're going to be able to identify in the psalm. He's going to start in wailing, and he's just crying out, and then that's going to lead him to waiting. And he's just sitting and being still, waiting and watching. And then finally, the last movement is going to be worshiping. And so this is how our fears are going to be focused on God by grace. And so let's just start at the very beginning. Verses 1 and 2. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. This is a psalm that starts in the depths of the human soul. The, um, the words out of the depths are words that evoke imagery of waters, of chaotic waters that are overwhelming and overcoming us. This is a people who have a long history with water. So the Israelites and the Jewish people going all the way back to Noah would have understood what depths meant. It meant God's judgment washing over them, overwhelming them, flooding them. Or it also meant the, the waters of judgment of the Red Sea as Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt through the parted sea and then the sea closes in. The depths overwhelm the pursuing armies of Pharaoh. Out of the depths is a place of despair. It's a place of hopelessness. It's a place of powerlessness. There's nothing else the psalmist can do but cry out. He has no ability to fix what has happened. It's like a giant knot 
And if you've ever tried and you're not very skilled at getting knots out, it's like everything that you do tightens the knot. This is the setting that the psalmist places us in. And yet there's a really bold request buried in the setting, and that is that he kind of, in a way, anthropomorphizes God and says, God, let your ears be attentive to my cry. He needs some, some kind of um, hope to grasp onto out of his despair to encourage him that his cries will not go unheard. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. So what is it that puts us in the depths? What is it that puts him in the depths? Well, I think that we can all say to some varying degrees, probably and for various reasons, that we are experiencing kind of a physical manifestation of that right now. We feel like we're in the depths. We're not really sure how we're going to get out of this situation. We're not sure of the way forward as a nation. We're divided. You're seeing the division increase. We are in the depths. But that's not really what the concern of the psalmist is. In verse 3, he tells us why he's feeling overwhelmed by the waters of God's judgment. Verse 3 says this, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? As a pastor and also as a counselor, um, I have heard people confess things that they hide deep into the recesses of their souls, whether that be thoughts, whether that be desires, whether it be plans that they've made to destroy people, destroy things, or if it's actions that they thought were secret and that no one else could see. There's a weight, and we can't even... When we think about these things in our own hearts, in our own dark recesses of our souls, we don't want to think about that. We don't want to go there. We can't bear the shame that we feel when we're honest with ourselves about that. The psalmist is with us, friends, and he brings all of that that we suppress, that we shove down, that we don't want to think about or acknowledge. And he brings it before God and confesses, Lord, if you should mark iniquities, if you actually held these things against us as your just nature would have you do, who could stand? Who could stand? The point is that nobody can stand. I don't care how good you are at fooling other people, you cannot fool the Lord. Your projection of your self-image as someone who has it all together, has all the answers, knows everything, does the right thing every time, that is just a shallow, shallow veil that you put up in front of your heart. That's what the psalmist says. And yet the psalmist knows something about God. He knows that God actually has promised and made commitments to his people. 
And so in verse 4, this whole psalm turns on this word, but. And it's just like, it's a relief to us. It, we get so heavy and burdened by this first, these first three verses of the psalm. And then verse 4 brings us this relief. But with you there is forgiveness. And a lot of us will stop right there. I'll say, yes, there's forgiveness with God. That's great. It's so transactional. It's like, that's why I chose this God is because he is a forgiving God. And so I get to do what I do and then I get his forgiveness and I go about my business. But that's not what this says. Keep reading that sentence. That you may be feared. Isn't that counterintuitive? What does that mean? What does it mean that we fear God after we've been forgiven by God? Well, it's probably because we're thinking of fear all wrong. We're thinking of fear as if we are afraid um, of someone destroying us instead of fearing losing something that's precious to us. Fear goes both ways there. We can be afraid of something that's pursuing us and is going to destroy us, and we can also be afraid of losing something that's very precious to us. And so the psalmist is saying, I have been given your forgiveness. There is forgiveness with you, and when I receive that, I fear losing your pleasure, losing the, the relationship that that brings me into. This isn't a transaction. It's a relationship. The Lord has promised his forgiveness to his people to be in relationship with them, to dwell with them. And so when we understand the forgiveness that we've been given, we fear losing that. And so our fear goes hand in hand with our love of God. And that truly is the type of fear that is the beginning of wisdom and helps us live in this relationship. So our fears are now focused on the relationship that we have with God. But this forgiveness is not, notice, it's just promised at this point. The psalm goes on. He's waiting for it. And so let's talk real quick about forgiveness before we talk about waiting. Forgiveness is really kind of twofold in, um, in the Old Testament and still for us today. But the model that we get in the Old Testament is that forgiveness means that your, your sin is destroyed and how this was um, anticipated was in the sacrificial system through um, the sacrificial offering where they would bring a goat and the goat would be slaughtered and there was a sacrificial lamb. That is a demonstration of the destruction that happens to our sin. Our sin is destroyed. It's no longer alive. It's destroyed. It's dead. But then there is another aspect of it where our sin is also forsaken and our sin is sent out. And there's a banishment of sin. And this is symbolized through the scapegoat. And so the priest would gather the people and in worship they would come before um, the priest would come before the people and symbolically would take the sins of the people, lay his hands on the goat, and send the goat out of the camp. The sins of the people, the very things that they 
were causing them to live in fear of being destroyed by God and by his waters of judgment is now sent out. The consequences of their sin in the community sent out symbolically. So the psalmist has this in mind and he says, okay, that is, that is me wailing in the midst of the depths, but now I have to wait. And this is a part we might understand on some level the first part. This second part is so hard for us as a culture. Verse five, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Waiting for the Lord to show up, hoping in his word, hoping in his promise. At this point, forgiveness is promised, but it's not realized. They're still anticipating it. They're living in anticipation, and their anticipation sends them to watch and keep watch for the coming forgiveness, for the coming grace of God. And boy, aren't we watching right now as a, um, as a society, as a culture. I mean, are you guys checking the news more? I know I am. I am waiting for good news. I'm waiting for something to come um, and deliver us. We're watching for it, whatever that might be, whether that be um, governmental loosening of restrictions or whether that be waiting and watching for a vaccine or maybe it's both. But this is the type of waiting that grace will send us into. Because when you experience forgiveness, when you understand that God offers forgiveness to your deepest, most, um, most ashamed parts of your soul, you will wait for it and you'll watch for it. And it's beautiful how he describes what he's waiting for at the second half of verse five. And in his word, I hope. The word that his soul is waiting for is the word spoken from God. And instead of a word of judgment, the psalmist is anticipating a word of hope, a word of forgiveness, a word of grace. The word is the promise, the covenantal promise of grace that God has offered to his people. And this grace has brought his people into relationship with him. The psalmist is, hope, is hoping in this word. So who are we hoping for? This is where our, we have to kind of depart from the psalmist because we have better information. We have more information. It's not just a vague outline of a promise. It's not a symbol of forgiveness. But we have received the very person of grace. We have received Christ. Jesus is the one who meets us as we wait in the depths of our misery. I was reading the book of Hebrews with, um, with a friend this week, and we were finishing up chapter four and getting into chapter five of Hebrews. And I just want to encourage you all with this. 
because it spoke, it just really soothed my soul. And it paints a beautiful picture of who it is who meets us in the depths. And so I'm going to read, this is chapter 4, verse 14, and I'm going to read through chapter 5, verses 2. Since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness." This description of Jesus as our priest is so important for us as we're waiting. Because I think as we're waiting, our hearts get anxious about the word that comes to us. Even knowing Christ and knowing that it was Jesus, knowing that he died for us, it is still really hard for us to wait in the midst of being overwhelmed with our sin because we think Jesus will come to us disappointed frustrated, tired of coming to us over and over again about the same sin. But that's not the Jesus that the book of Hebrews describes. Instead of disappointed and frustrated, the word that comes to us is gentle and merciful. The very parts of your soul, of your life, of your desires that you're most ashamed of, those are the parts that he's most tender with. Those are the parts he died for and he wants to redeem. Don't hide those from him. Don't hide those from him. And so now this is where we have been in the, in the depths of our souls and having met Christ there and, having, and Christ having met us there, the joy and the relief of the Lord meeting us in our misery leads us to worship. And so in this final um, two verses of the psalm, we see what it looks like to respond to the hope that we have. And now, instead of being isolated and alone in the depths and in despair, all of a sudden, the psalmist bursts out, O Israel, hope in the Lord. It's overwhelming. It's overflowing from the, um, the grace that he has received. And he's now calling everyone who will hear to hope in the Lord, just as he has hoped in the Lord. Because now he knows, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. That's covenantal language. It's infinite love. It's never-ending love. It's love that will not stop. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So 
So when we let grace focus our fears on God, we discover that there are depths that are actually deeper than the misery of our souls. And this is what the psalmist is singing about here and why he's so excited to include everyone else that he knows into it. We cry out to God knowing the depths of his love and his mercy for us in Jesus, who stands eager and ready to receive us. And so from wailing to waiting to worshiping, we see how this psalm helps us let grace focus our fears on God. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, for your word. God, this, this is something that we, we just could not have come up with. It is so far beyond our greatest hopes, and it pierces straight through our greatest fears. And so, Lord, for, for all of us, um, I ask that we would hear this, that during this time where there's a lot of things to be afraid of, that we would push through all of that and that we would deal with those parts of our soul that we don't want to deal with, that we would know that you meet us there. Lord, help us to wait. Help us to anticipate and long for the bountiful forgiveness that you have given us. And Lord, I ask that this would be a time, this would be a season where we, we just bask in that, that we, where we remember it, where we enjoy it, and confidently we approach you, knowing that you have given us the perfect high priest. And so God, I, I ask that you would calm our hearts before you, that you would give us um, boldness and freedom as we respond to this in worship and praise, as we invite others to see that you are good and that you have forgiveness and you've given it to us in Christ. Do all of this, Lord, through the spirit of your Holy Son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.